This is Wayne Hoig, and this is the first segment of Sex and the Gospel. Tonight's segment is called Logical and Loving Limits. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. As we begin our time together, I want to establish something that we may not particularly understand. Or if we do, we sure don't talk about it much as Christians. And that is, God is the author of pleasure. The Westminster Catechism asked, What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Part of enjoying God is to enjoy the good gifts that He gives. James chapter 1, verse 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Think about all of the good gifts, the pleasures that God showers upon you every day. Think of things like the beauty of a sunrise and a sunset, the sweet song of a bird, the majesty of the mountains, or the crashing roar of the surf at the seaside, the satisfying taste of good food and good drink, the delicacy of a human kiss, a human touch, the sound of a breeze through the quaking aspen, the innumerable insights and sound, the sights and sounds of the animal kingdom, the reflection of a glassy lake, the beauty of the human form, the intoxicating aroma of flowers, the emotional power of music, the power of visual art, the gift of eyes, ears, mouth, nose, and hands to take it all in, the ability to recognize and enjoy beauty, the endless sights, sounds, shapes, colors, light, and textures of the created world, the pleasure of sleep. The fact is, all of these and more are available to us every day. Paul David Tripp writes, The pleasures of life are everywhere you turn. They greet you every day, all throughout the day. You can escape pleasure if you tried. Do you know why? There's only one answer. Because God wanted it that way. With wisdom and purpose, God created a world stuffed to overflowing with pleasures of every kind. There are pleasures of sight, sound, taste, and touch. There are the pleasures of thought and emotion. The pleasures of location, situation, and relationships. Pleasure exists because it fits God's purpose for his creation. It is one of his chief gifts to us. But you and I need to understand the role of pleasure in God's creation and how we are to respond to the pleasures that greet us every day. If God created pleasure, then pleasure is not the problem. The problem comes when we understand pleasure in the wrong way, when we wrestle it from God's created order and purpose. Besides being the revelation of God's redemptive story, that which the Germans call Heilsgeschichte, the Bible is also a rule book. Someone once gave it the acronym for B-I-B-L-E, Basic Instructions 
before leaving earth. As a result, it is filled with thou shall and thou shalt nots, do's and don'ts. Another has said, if we would spend our time doing the do's, we wouldn't have time to do the don'ts. What we do need to understand, though, is not one of the commands found in Scripture is arbitrary. God did not pull them randomly from his hat. So that mankind might enjoy life on this earth to the fullest measure, God has given us boundaries, logical and loving limits. God's laws, God's boundaries make sense. They are given for our protection because he loves us and wants what is best for us. Logical and loving limits are easily understood. A child in proximity of a hot stove and parents saying, don't touch. Is that a statement not rooted in a heart that's filled with benevolence, trying to spare that child pain and anguish and tears? And just like God's logical and loving limits, if they are not heeded, there are consequences pain, and tears. In Genesis chapter 1, we read, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. Here we need to understand that the differences between a man and a woman go far beyond plumbing. Physically and emotionally, we are very different creatures. And though man and woman are both created in the image of God, that image is best revealed by man and woman in union. God said it is not good that man should be alone. So Genesis 2 tells us, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. God brought the man and the woman together, and he did it before the fall. Genesis 1.28 says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. God created man and woman. God created them to be one. Therefore, he created sexual attraction. He created the ultimate of human embraces, sexual intercourse. In God's design, sexual union has spiritual, emotional, and physical dimensions. Sadly, in our day and age, what many have learned about sex comes from the locker room, songs, television, movies, and the internet, not from the Bible. What is taught in those arenas totally disregards the fact that we are spiritual beings created in the image of God. Our culture teaches us that man is just a bag of chemicals, not much different from barnyard animals. That may explain why, in many ways, he acts like one. If that is true, and we are just pieces of matter, here today, gone tomorrow, then it does not matter what we do with our bodies. Therefore, we can do anything we want, with anyone we please, 
at any time we please. Stephen Stills of the rock band Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young wrote, There's a girl right next to you, and she's just waiting for something to do. Turn your heartache into joy, because she's a girl and you're a boy. Get it together. Come on, make nice. You ain't going to need any more advice. Well, there's a rose and a fisted glove. And the eagle flies with the dove. And if you can't be with the one you love, honey, then love the one you're with. That is part of what Pastor Jesse reminded us of this morning. When we are told not to love the world. This is the world's way. God's boundaries exist because he loves us. He knows that we are delicate, finely tuned individuals that are created in his image. The Corinthians lived in a culture with the same misconceptions as our own. They had been taught that their bodies operated separately from their spirits. Jesus is in my spirit, so my spirit will go to heaven. But my body will eventually rot in the ground, so it doesn't matter what I do with my body. The Apostle Paul's response, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't you know that your body is a temple? From 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we read, beginning with verse 12, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both, one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised up the Lord, raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never! Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits outside the body. But sexual, the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. The Greek word that is translated immorality in this passage is the word porneia. This word is used throughout the New Testament and can best be described as unlawful sex. What is unlawful sex? Any sexual expression or activity outside of the marriage covenant between a man and a woman. It would include fornication, adultery, homosexuality, incest, bestiality, pornography, etc. There are those who would have us to believe that sex is just a physical act. But sex is not just a physical act. Sexual intercourse is the union of two persons, body, soul, and spirit. This is not just a handshake from which you do and then walk away. Whoever one has had sex with in their lifetime is still a part of them. Don't believe that? 
then where do all the feelings come from when you hear an old song, drive through a particular part of town, smell a familiar smell? God's plan was there would be no sexual memories before the marriage bed. Over my years as a pastor counselor, I have heard countless confessions of those who gave themselves over to premarital sex or extramarital sex that now suffer with guilt and lack of trust, flashbacks, comparisons, lack of relaxation, and a host of other things. God meant for the marriage bed to be a fresh and new and exciting discovery for two people, a man and a woman, who saved themselves for that one special person. As one who has promoted and practiced premarital counseling, I can tell you just how refreshing and exciting it is to counsel a couple who have not yet taken the wrappers off the gift that God intended for them to open on their honeymoon. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, Flee from sexual immorality or fornication, sex outside of marriage. And again, the Apostle Paul is telling us that we are an integrated being. You cannot do something with your body that does not touch your spirit. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. All too often we make this application to salvation alone. The truth of the matter is, every time that we walk in rebellion to God's way, something inside of us dies. Even though we may be redeemed ones, we do not sin with impunity. C.S. Lewis wrote, Every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part that chooses, into something a little different than it was before. To some degree, we wound our being by every sexual act committed outside of God's logical and loving limits because we become one with that person. It may just be a one-night stand, but two individuals have intermingled. They've become one. Then a few minutes later, they tear that oneness apart into two beings once again. Now, this might not rip our bodies, but it does rip our mind, our will, our emotions, and our spirits. The mind is now damaged because it has memories and knowledge that it was not equipped to cope with apart from a lifetime commitment. The will is damaged because it has been bent against the conscience that was saying no. And thus the will is weakened. The emotions are traumatized by the pulling back that follows the intermingling. And the spirit is wounded because our disobedience to God's will ministered life instead of death. Or excuse me, the spirit is wounded because our disobedience to God's will ministered death instead of life. The writer of Proverbs talks much about sexual sin and its damage to our beings spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And I'd like to share a couple of those passages with you. The first comes from Proverbs 7, beginning with verse 1. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. 
Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend, to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress, with her smooth words. For at the window of my house I have looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple. I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness, and behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. With bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come to meet you, to seek you eagerly. I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home, and he has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many victims she has laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. And then from the sixth chapter we read, Proverbs 6, verse 20. My son, keep your father's commandment. And forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching is light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. To preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart. Do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down precious life. Can a man take fire next to his chest, and his clothing not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals, and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor and disgrace. His disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge, and he will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts." In 41 years of pastoral counseling, I have heard a lot of confessions. 
lying, stealing, abuse, and even murder. But the consequences of these do not hold a candle to the confessions of sexual sin. Premarital sex, extramarital sex, homosexuality, incest, and as a result, guilt and shame and divorce and abortions and sexually transmitted diseases, etc., etc., etc. All because we tend to say, God, you just don't understand. Well, my friend, he does understand. He invented the biology and the, psycho and the physiology, the whole process. He is for us. And in his love, he tries to prevent us from damaging our lives. Inside of the marriage covenant, we come to understand that God gave us the gift of sexual pleasure and sexual expression. And he did it for three reasons. The first reason is bonding. Through the sexual union, a man and a woman are joined together. As the Bible says, they become one flesh. And in this bonding, in this ultimate of embraces, there is, uh, there is something going on that draws the man and woman together, that keeps them as one, that creates a fondness in their hearts that will create a faithfulness between them when they're not even in each other's presence. I remember years ago, listening to Bruce Wilkinson in the biblical portrait of marriage, exhorting businessmen before they would go on a business trip to make sure that they made love to their wives before they left. And then again, when they return home, that that, that, that bonding would continue and that it would keep them between their times away from one another. Next, God created sexual expression for procreation. It is through this that babies are made and babies are born and and the, the species survives and is propagated. I believe this is also a reason why God demands a covenant because the sexual act is the only act that can be had between two human beings that has the capacity to create life. And the reason we are performing 4,000 plus abortions every day in the United States of America is because two people who are not committed to each other commit a life or create a life that they're not committed to as well. And so God says for sexual expression to be holy, it needs to be between two who are in covenant with one another. And lastly, God has created sexual expression for pleasure. Fact of the matter, he made sex fun. And so he, he, he asked us to, to protect this, to, I've said in the last few Sunday morning services that God has made a strong box, so to speak. That strong box where he can keep his powerful and beautiful treasure of, of sexual expression. It's called the marriage bed. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 says, Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Inside of the marriage covenant, God says to the husband and to the wife, pleasure and be pleasured. Enjoy my gift. But he says that he will judge all sex 
that is outside of that covenant. Does this mean that there is no forgiveness for sexual sin? No, it does not. But God, in his wisdom, does leave us the consequences of that sin. Next week, we're going to talk about the bonding process. And what are the steps that, that unite the heart of a man and the heart of the woman together in such a strong bond that they are able to covenant with one another for life? I hope you'll join us.